Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Mmm, this coffee is so good. What does that Thank have to you do so with much for getting me coffee, Hannah, and nobody else. And nobody else. The joke is that our producer, Cameron, is mad that I didn't bring him <laughs> coffee. He's so angry. I didn't know he was going to be and here. And he's being like so passive aggressive about also it. Also aggressive aggressive. Yeah, like actually aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's getting up now. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with our show? Almost absolutely nothing, except for it's really hot. Yeah, and Tyler drinks hot coffee on hot days, which is so disturbing to me. If I was, I don't know, say in hell, I would drink hot coffee in hell. Or you drink cold coffee because you don't like cold coffee. They would would force. I actually do enjoy cold brew every once in a while, like at the end of a long day. You know, like you're working real hard and. And I, but first I drink, before I drink the cold brew, I'll drink two shots of hot espresso. Oh my God. (laughs) So Tyler is 99% caffeine right now. Pretty much always at that (laughs) ratio. Also a little bit of whiskey. I am indeed Tyler and I am indeed talking to Hannah. Indeed. And they are indeed listening to. Between Lewis and Lovecraft. There we go. Okay. You caught it. (laughs) Good. Um, And today we are. In the air-conditioned, actually, it's not very well air-conditioned room. It feels really good compared to the outside. Because the outside is fucking hell! It should never be this hot in Oregon. It, seriously, it's so hot. It's driving me insane. And we had the good foresight of knowing that it would be this hot and setting ourselves up for success in having a topic today where we we're going to talk about hell. Yes. From a literary standpoint. Congrats to us two months ago figuring this out. Yeah. Was it even that? It was like- It was maybe like one month ago. I don't know. Yeah. We were like, you know what happens in August? (laughs) It gets really freaking hot outside. Yeah. So we're going to talk about hell. And it was mostly because I had just finished the comic book of um, Hellboy in Hell. And that was very interesting to me. And you had never read my favorite book in the entire world, which is The Great Divorce. Which I was like, okay, how do I rectify that? (laughs) How do I make her read this thing? And then at that time, I thought, you know, it would be really cool to add to my reading repertoire. Thank you. Is Dante's, is the Divine Comedy, Dante's Inferno. I was wrong. I was wrong (laughs) about that. It was not fun. It was not good. I did not like it. Um, And I, and I immediately, if hell is real and I go there, for whatever reason, it will be a circle in which they force you to read Dante's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Dante could have like foreseen students, you know, hundreds so of years from now making that comparison, being like, yeah, no, my circle of hell is reading Dante. <laughs> so uh, the real question today, Hannah, is going to be where the flip are we starting? Because you have almost... No, there's no outline. Oh, yeah. In I didn't do any outline because we're just going to talk about hell and Tai Tai the Bible guy is going to come uh, out a lot probably. I, I will start with this. I am very, very nervous about that. Um, and it's only because like 
there's a few reasons why. Number one, um, everybody has their own ideas and and beliefs on hell, right? So even if I say this is how it is, this is what what the Bible says, or this is what theologians say, or this is what biblical scholars believe, someone can very easily just go, yeah, but that's not what I believe, right? So what's the point of me talking about it? Number one. Two, um, even when I was a youth leader, um, hell was not the most central topic that we would talk about in Bible class. Um, I am not the most profoundly uh, scholarly educated person when it comes to hell. Um, So I don't want to come across as if I know a lot. And on top of all that, um, going through this topic is what really pushes the boundaries of what I do believe. Um, and there's a few reasons why, but it, it really, it's a topic that has really forced me to come and not just recently, not, not while I was reading Dante's Inferno, just, it's been like almost 10 years of a struggle really forced me to come to the realization of where I stand on a lot of stuff. Um, so it's, it's an uncomfortable conversation for me to have with people because I can't be like, this is how it is. I can say at best, this is what a lot of people believe. This is probably where I lean. Um, and I, and I like this sort of thing. Um, and before we get too far, um, because Ty Ty, the Bible guy is going to show up. I am. I, I mean, I will talk about the Bible. It, I mean, we're talking about hell. We can't not talk about the Bible. Um, I, there, there's this thing that happens in debates or conversations or anything like that when it comes to religion or beliefs. And it's something that, um, I have been looking at for a really long time. You know, I have best friends. Um, I have two or three guys that I can sit down with and we can debate and straight up argue. We've gotten into heated debates and, you know, we can just talk about stuff and we walk away from it feeling better and feeling good about ourselves or challenged in a way, but not mad at the other person in any way, really. Um, and the reason why, and then uh, real quick, and then I've had even just civil conversations with people where I have felt, thank you, Cameron. Um, he's putting up images of hell on <laughs> the monitor in that the studio. Looks that looks exactly just, like what I imagine hell would be like. That is uh, Hellish. a thing. Um, <laughs> there's the other way where I've had civil conversations with people um, where I've walked away feeling very angry, um, highly discouraged and emotionally just, just drained. And what I've come to realize is because there is a, a difference in expectations. The people that I enjoy talking to about this have no expectation of me to change and fit their idea of what they think, right? They are just, they're working through it as much as I am. Or if they have a stance, they're like, this is the stance that I'm at. Let me try to help you understand why not help you, not help you see that, but help you understand why I'm here. Right. Whereas other people would go, this is what you have to believe. If you don't believe this, you are wrong. I feel like that's the vast majority of people, especially now. uh, Yeah. And yeah, so it's so divisive. Um, So I wanted to clarify here at the very front, when I'm talking about hell, uh, especially the great divorce and and even going into the the, um, divine comedy, 
I am talking from a me standpoint. This is where I am, and this is what I want to try and get across to you from, from me, right? I have no expectation at the end of this session that Hannah will be accepting Christ. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here, guys. I have no expectation that any of our listeners are going to become Christians or more Christian-y or anything, right? That's never, ever been one of my expectations for any of our listeners ever. So when Ty Ty the Bible guy shows up, understand that I, I, I am skeptical of a lot of my own beliefs and I I test those I doubt those and I look for the truth in those so I would never expect anybody else to just kind of be like oh okay that's it um so that's why I was a little nervous you know with with getting into this you get into beliefs and you get into and it very quickly spirals into a lot of different stuff especially when you get to some of the imagery that is in the divine comedy um so I, I just I, I want people to understand that I, I come from a place of trying to understand and a place of love of, look, Hannah, you're going to believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Um, so we're, we're going to walk different paths. It's not my job to make you believe what, what I think is right. Um, it's my job to answer questions if you have them. Right. That being said. You cannot, and not you, Hannah, just in general, (laughs) and I've lived by this for a really long time. I've gotten into debates about it. You cannot be mad at me for knowing that you're going to go to a place that you don't believe in. Tyler just said I'm going to hell. Exactly. Right? At the end of the day, I'm a Christian, and by, by my beliefs, that's what I have to stand by, right? But I don't do it like, Hannah, you're going to, like, I, have I ever, ever in any way impl- implied that at I all? I don't think so. No. But people get really irritated when there is that in that conversation. I'm like, well, you just think I'm going to go to hell. And it's like, first of all. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. But that doesn't mean I'd like you less. It doesn't mean, if anything, it means like I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do because I like you so much. Right. Even, um. What's his name? That magician guy who's like super anti-Christian. Uh, Penn and Teller guy. Oh, Penn Jillette. Yes. I love Penn Jillette. Even he says like Christians who are trying to bring you to Christ should like they're wrong. But they're like if if they believed you were about to be uh, driven over like ran over by a bus and they didn't try to stop you from being run over that bu- by that bus. They're worse people than you could ever imagine. If they believe you're about to be run over a bu- by a bus, they they should do everything that they can to save you from that bus, right? So that's where I stand on it. It's like, if if you don't believe in hell, you cannot be mad at me for believing you're going to go there. You can't. It just, it, the logic doesn't work. I like that you brought up Pendulette because um, he basically summed up like the reason agnostics don't really exist in the most simple way because like I always kind of thought I was agnostic I'm like I don't know if God's real or not I don't know um but in his book he basically wrote like you either believe in something or you don't so if you answer I don't know to that question then you're an atheist because you don't believe in it right so agnostics aren't real (laughs) (laughs) wow Hannah's taking a hot take real quick too like this is gonna be a hot take episode yes and and with that should we start with inferno since i think we both don't like that one as much as the great divorce absolutely okay 100 percent. so had you ever read it before no 
so I had to read it in high school, I think junior year or something. Yeah. And I think we split it up into sections, so I probably didn't read the whole thing at the time. Are you talking about the Inferno or the Divine Comedy? Because the Divine Comedy is more than just Dante's Inferno, right? Correct. Just the Inferno, I think, is what we okay. did. That's um, the most uh, exciting uh, episode of that series, basically. <laughs> um, so it's the one that people know the most. Right. Plus, there was a video game that was made out of it. So most nerds. Which, know like, about how it. do you make a video game out of this? He just follows Virgil around the whole time. If I remember correctly, oh my god, uh, that's Gary Busey. <laughs> that's not hell. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of hell. Um, if I remember correctly, in the video game, you play as Virgil. Oh. No, maybe you do play as Dante, and Virgil does lead you, but you're a crusader, and uh, Beatrice, who made a deal with the devil to say that you will never be hurt in the crusades as long as you stay faithful to her, but then at like at some point, you slept with a whore. Typical man. So the second you get home, Beatrice, her soul is taken by the devil into hell, and so you go in through the gates of hell. And Virgil is leading you, and you're just cutting the heads off of everything. I think that was the premise to the game. So obviously, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) nothing like the book. Perfect. Guys, the book is not that exciting. No. Well, it doesn't help that it was written like a bajillion years ago. In uh, 1306? Yeah, so it's very hard to understand. Yeah, it is very hard. On top of the fact that it's written in another language, like it's written in Italian, which that in of itself is a big deal because normally poems and such epics would be written in Latin. Um, he chose specifically Dante Allegu- a- Alighieri. Thank you, Alighieri. He wrote it in modern, at that time, modern day uh, Florentine terminology and like dialect uh, Italian. And basically, he's just like, <laughs> basically, he's just like, screw all this bullshit (laughs) i want the common people to understand it that's very admirable yeah and basically he set up what makes this book so great is that he basically set up an entire um uh culture of people that could write in just modern day literature their their standard language and it actually helped italian the italian language become like prevalent in a lot of literature yeah more prestigious yeah nice so that was my backstory thing so i mean the general premise for people who have not read inferno he's like walking along (laughs) runs into this this old dude named virgil aka the old poet he's in the valley of shadow and death Yes, and then Virgil's like, come on, let's take a tour of hell. It'll be fun. Mm, he does not say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Hannah Ray Lambert yeah, adaptation. I want to read this version <laughs> so bad. Then they, you know. Sup, dude? Do the hell thing. Ha, <laughs> ha, Welcome to hell. We're just going to serve some flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> that would make hell a lot better, I think. Snacks. <laughs> Snacks, yeah. But no, so they, I mean, they've got the, the nine circles. Mm-hmm. Which have a bajillion circles within the circles. Well, no, only like the last. Only like the like last two do. Three or well, they have like pouches in the eighth circle, I think. Something like why that. Do, yeah. I don't know why they're called pouches. Is this a kangaroo? <laughs> the kangaroo circle. <laughs> the kangaroo of hell. It's a beaut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Australia is hot. It is hot. So maybe I don't want to, you know. So this depiction of hell is more, I think, like what 
your average person thinks of when they think of hell. Mm-hmm. It's like very scary. Yeah. Lots of flaming rivers of boiling blood and tar and demons ripping people limb from limb and yeah. all of that shit. Yeah. It's very scary. What was your I mean, do you want to go into a more a deeper analysis of it? Do you have this, any thoughts? So the one like the first circle or no, the the Ante Inferno. So like before hell. Yeah. Um, I thought that one was interesting because um, Dante seemed to have like more of a reaction to the people stuck there because that's like the souls who couldn't commit to good or evil or, or yeah. <clears throat> no, no, no. The pagans one yeah. was the one where he had more of a reaction because those were people who were like born before people knew about Jesus or whatever. Yeah. So they didn't really have a choice about whether to follow him. And Dante's like, well, that kind of sucks. It's not their fault. They're stuck here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So, the, yeah, there's that. Um, there, there's, uh, wasps and bees going around, stinging people. That one was in the Ante Inferno, yeah. the people who couldn't commit to good or evil. Yeah. And I remember that one from class too, cause it was like, the hornets were very scary. Yeah, man. The running around after a blank banner, which is that just supposed to symbolize like you can't make up your mind? Uh, your I don't, I mean, blank. there's so much symbolism. I'm not, I'm not even going to try <laughs> honestly at that point. <clears throat> um, there's, yeah, they, their blood from their wounds it runs down onto the ground and so they're basically worms running on tracks of blood and there's worms and maggots feeding from it and then there's <clears throat> there's a part of it where there's a bunch of there's like a whole dead poet society huh, huh? get it because they're, they're all dead because they're all dead poets yeah um it that literally is though um You've got Homer and um, I, I mean, that's the only name that I recognized. Virgil, his his um, leader, not leader, uh, guide through hell uh, is a part of this gang of, of poets that just. <laughs> the gang of poets. <laughs> With All poets. West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that so and they accept him into the into their ranks. Uh, Dante. Who is the main character of this story, by the way? I think we skipped over that. Dante, the author, yes, is the, the main author character of this. Is the character who's being guided yeah. through hell. And and a lot of this is his own in, in at first at least. And what I resonated with at first was this is a lot of his own introspection of himself. Where do I land on this? Because I am a philosopher, I am a poet, but ultimately I am a Christ follower, and so do I do I accept that this is where I belong or do I belong deeper in hell or in purgatory or in heaven? Um, so that was a that was an interesting part of the story for me. Nice. Matt Mercer is a demon tiefling guy. Um, this is fun. I like Cameron just throwing Cameron is things. D- derailing this whole thing. Yeah. Cameron, that's Tyler's job. Yeah. I do it enough. Um, the, um, the interesting part for me was there's... Um, there's a part where he asks, "Hey, is there any way to escape this place?" And um, and they even make reference to it that there was once when the mighty one came down and scooped a whole bunch of them up and took them away to heaven. And that's a reference to, uh, I believe it's First Peter. I'm gonna look it up really quick. First Peter four six. Uh, there's a bunch of different translations, so it's whichever one you want to go with, whichever one suits your agenda. Um, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. That is the King James version. Um, there's also, I'm trying to find the other one. 
Ephesians 4.9. Let's look that up real quick. I'll try and make it quick so we don't have to edit this out. Um, Ephesians 4.9 says, um, Now that he ascended, what <coughs> what is it but that he also descended in the first parts to the lower parts of earth? Um and if I if I remember correctly, I mean again this is off the top of my head. I, I believe First Peter four six talks about the fact that he um, descended into in down and preached to the spirits. Um, and there's a lot of biblical canon that talks about him having the key to hell and and opening the gates of hell and flinging wide those gates and. But only one time. That's that's the question, right? So. At the very least, Dante uh, addresses the Catholic idea that Jesus did go down to hell and did uh, did help people down in hell get to heaven, whatever that looked like, in whatever way. Um, so he addresses that here, which is interesting to me because that's a huge part of my theology of like of wondering a lot of stuff about that. So, um, yeah, so then he moves into the next part of hell. Um after he kind of has a chat with some some new friends that are old friends, but they're new to him, <laughs> like my car. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly the same. Uh, and then, so then it's just it's just a series of learning, like what are what are the terrible things that you have to deal with? You've got limbo, the un, unbaptized and virtuous pagans, including Virgil, Homer, Horace, Ovid, Socrates, Plato, and Saladin. I've never heard of Saladin, maybe invented salads. <laughs> Probably. So that's what we were just talking about. Then the second circle is lust. Um, and basically they're just like being blown around by wind, which I thought was really funny. I mean, <laughs> you're going to put a bunch of lustful people in a room where they're going to get blown. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a thing in the 1300s? Or does, sure. Does Dante know maybe they doing? didn't have the same terminology, but they definitely did it. They get sent to hell for it. Perfect. Yeah. Seems like there could have been a, a better punishment for that, but who am I to rewrite? So what you'll what you'll notice is that the 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 hell the circles of hell descend into worse and worse sins. Yes. So in in Dante's mind, lust is not, that, not that bad. bad. I mean, comparatively speaking, and that's a thing that I think humans do often is we we try to categorize the wrongdoings of people. And that's a thing that like uh, a lot of Protestant teaching gets rid of, especially evangelical teaching that I've been a part of as it gets rid of the levels of hell. It's no, there's hell. There's it's all hell. hell. Like there's no difference between lust and murder, which I mean, I think there definitely is as a human. <laughs> you definitely do that. But as, as a as a person who believes that God is above all that and and doesn't look at each sin as its own thing, but rather as it's it is a sin just in general, why would there be different categories? He doesn't care whether there's categories. He cares whether you're sin or you don't sin, right? So that's that's how we're taught in in at least Protestant um, Baptist evangelicals, that's kind of the way that they view it. So we're seeing a, a, already a division in beliefs in sin through this story. Right. So then the third one is gluttony. 
So yeah. we're basically going through the seven deadly sins here at the That's top. That's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. I don't know which came first, honestly. I don't know if the seven deadly sins came first and then he used this as a, oh, a, as a way of doing it. Or if people created, the church created the seven deadly sins based off of these circles that he created. Right. Which honestly I could see. I mean, th- this is a very Catholic book. So it's a very Catholic idea to have the seven deadly sins. And then the fourth circle, I think I didn't really understand what that one was. Do you have the people who were sent there? Um, I have no idea, to be honest. Even now I'm reading it. Averse and prod... I don't know. See, I have no idea, honestly. This is what happens when we read something from the 1300s. Yeah, <laughs> like they use weird words. And the, the way that they're punished is they're pushed with great weights together and they just keep pushing them together over so, and like squishing them oh oh it's greed that's that what it greed? is they oh. couldn't just put greed yeah basically what they have to do is they have to take the these bags full of gold and shit and they have to push them up this hill each one from a different direction and then when they all get to the top in the middle of the hill they all push each other off the hill thinking that they're going to be the one at the top of the hill with all the gold and then they all go down to the bottom because they all fall and then they just yell at each other and get angry at each other for pushing each other off that makes more sense then and there's two types of greed in this version the first type of greed is obviously like the ever 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 not ever ebenezer um <laughs> ebenezer scrooge version like i'm gonna take all the gold and i'm gonna have all of it and not share it the other form of greed is spending too much and too wildly and just being like, whatever, money doesn't matter. I'm just going to buy whatever I want and then throw it away. Like, that's another form of greed. So they, they you have both of those. Okay. Yeah. And then in the fifth circle, you have the wrathful and the sullen. Right. And that's also where the river Styx shows up. Yes. We already crossed a river earlier with uh, Charion, oh, the, yeah. the boatsman. That guy is like the guy that ferries the dead in. The River Styx is from, you know, Greek mythology where the dead are ferried in. But in this term, the River Styx is not the boat where the dead are ferried in, but rather um, you it's where the those that are wrathful and anger uh, are drowned. Mm-hmm. Right. So they just they are drowning in their own anger. Right. So like that's, that's where they poignant. stay. Um, and even in this section, you have one of an, a real life. Uh, adversary to Dante, someone he in real life did not oh, like. Yeah. So he he wrote this whole section where this guy pops out of the water and, and tries to uh, goad him into a fight or whatever. Uh, and in that, we see where we think Dante might see himself in hell is in the wrathful state because he even in even in that situation, he curses his enemy further, saying, I wish that you would go further into hell. This is not enough of a punishment for you. I wish there was more. So, like, we see that wrathfulness come out in Dante himself, which is interesting to me. Right. Again, int- introspection on his part, I think. And uh, then the sixth is heretics. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, like, places where people who commit various, like, religious crimes yeah. end up i think this is the first one we see them other than the first circle of pagans basically sure um but yeah I, what was the punishment for heretics they were entombed in fiery tombs oh great more fire right yeah. love the fire uh then we get to violence 
Uh, and this is the first time we see the separation of yes. uh, circle, right? There's like, it, what is it, like four different versions? Yeah, I've got four different violences. Um, so these people spend eternity in a river of boiling blood. Yeah. Which is so gross. And this is, so he, he basically is breaking up different forms of violence. There's violence against um, your family, violence against... Yourself. Yourself, so suicides suicide. Yeah. trees or something yeah, for some we'll, reason. Yeah, we'll get this. to that next. Yeah, and then there's violence against god or something yeah blasphemers yeah end up here uh so there's different versions of violence and so there's different punishments for them the people that are boiling their so people who uh assaulted other people are like halfway up in the boiling blood and then the people who murdered people are fully submerged, submerged. in the boiling blood and then if they try to leave there's a pack of centaurs just hanging out in hell shooting people with bows and arrows until they get back into the blood. Get back in the blood river. Like, where did Dante just be like, oh, yeah, uh, also there's centaurs. <laughs> it's just so random to me. There's a lot of philosophical aspects of it and a lot of allegorical uh, reasons that he put it in. A lot of people would you know, point out, like, the the one centaur that gave them a ride across is the same same name as another centaur from Greek mythology that gave a ride across for a guy and his wife and then tried to rape the wife so then the guy had to kill the centaur. That's why he ended up in hell. <laughs> exactly. And so did all the so are the centaurs being punished by having to kill people? Probably. Uh, it seems like a weird punishment. Uh but okay. So yeah, so that's violence. Oh, suicides, we like you said they're they uh basically they're not they didn't respect their body in the life that they had, so they're turned into trees and, and their bodies are taken away from them. And they're only allowed to speak when blood is shed from their tree body. And every morning, a, a, a bunch of harpies come in from somewhere and like land on them and start tearing apart their bark and stuff. And that's the only time that they're allowed to speak. Who thinks of this stuff? Dante does. <laughs> this is messed up. I mean, this, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, then there's, yeah, there's the other, uh, another form of uh, retribution against violence. I, I honest to God can't remember them completely. Oh, was it, uh, there's just like a, a big desert where there's yeah. a bunch of fire So falling. violence against nature was one of them. And yeah. those people have to walk on a desert of burning sand. So... I read, like, I was trying to figure out what that one was. Is it, like, gay people? Because it called them sodomites in one uh, translation. Um, That is a good And would that question. count as violence against nature? That is, that's a good question. And, I mean, this is going to get into a whole nother uh, very interesting conversation to be had during the political times that we have. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I believe that that's what he meant because there's a lot of, uh, like the Bible talks about in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that Lot uh, is visited by two angels and um, the men of Sodom demand that he brings them out so that they can rape the two angels because they're outsiders. And Lot's like, no, 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 please don't. Here, have my, my two daughters instead. Uh, and so don't don't take the men that are here. I have to protect them because they're strangers. Uh, so then the the people take his 
daughters and rape them and then still this demand. This is a terrible story. Yeah, it's it's a hard one to read and to find justice in. <laughs> but then, you know, like there's the justice of Sodom gets completely destroyed uh, and Lot and his children are saved-ish. But like God still, God still let it happen. Like, like God still let the rapings happen. And then their mom dies because she turns around and looks at Sodom being destroyed. So she turns oh, into a pillar, pillar of salt. And then their daughters think that they're basically the only people left on Earth. They think all of the Earth got destroyed. So they have to repopulate the Earth. So then they get their dad drunk and have sex with their what? dad and give birth to two children or a child each from their dad's seed. And then those people become the leaders of two other nations uh, in the Bible. I really feel like I'm not missing much by not reading these stories. Um, so, 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 the the so yes, the, that adds up to the the term sodomite is an interesting one, and to me, it lends itself more to something else than rather than just homosexuality. A lot of people use sodomites or sodomy as homosexuality, and I don't believe that that's necessarily true. And I also don't believe that the New Testament believes that same thing. I think the New Testament, when it talks about homosexuality and sodomy, it's actually referring to a very specific form of circumstances like raping people and or using your power to rape people. It doesn't matter whether it's a boy or a girl, same gender or not. Raping people is the wrong, is the problem. But when things were translated and we needed to control people through the Middle Ages, we translated it in a very specific way to say homosexuality, not rape. <laughs> so that is why it's a very complicated, and there's going to be people who listen to this who might agree with me, and there's going to be a lot of people who are Christian who are going to listen to it and be like, BS, that's not what the Bible says. And I'm more than happy to talk to people about it. <laughs> Obviously, I am not like, I need to be right. That's just where I'm where I'm your at. Alex Jones impression. Yeah, that's my <laughs> Alex Jones. Making the freaking frogs gang. <laughs> and going to the seventh circle of hell. <laughs> uh, we spent too long in the seventh circle. Let's we move did. on to the eighth circle. And this is where we get the pockets slash pouches of hell. Well, yeah, I don't know why you call them pockets and pouches. They're trenches. Trenches was your translation? Yeah. Okay. Trenches sounds better than pockets, actually. Cameron, can you pull up... Uh, are you there? Yeah. Cameron, can you pull up uh, Eighth Circle of Hell trenches? There's one, two, And three, just bring up a, an image. Seven, eight. There's eight trenches within the Eighth Circle. Uh, because it it, it, it it makes sense once you look at it. It's basically like a 3D bullseye. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's in hell. Yeah, we just need to see, um, like that. No, keep going down. This is a little more like it. I liked the images or far left. Yeah, like that. So basically, like there's there's walls. If you think like of a of like a labyrinth. See that one says pouches too. That's where I got pouches. From. Maybe in the original translation he had pouches or whatever. I don't but know they're, when mine they're, was translated. Trenches sounds a lot scarier. Pits, uh, trenches, that sort of thing. Basically, yeah. Uh, imagine a labyrinth, and you've got the walls that create the maze. But in this maze, it's just circles, and you can walk on top of them and look down into them. And that's what they're doing. They're looking down into these 
the ten trenches of uh, oh, yeah, that the eighth level. Ten. Oh, it's, there are ten. Sorry. Yeah. I lost count. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, and it's for every different type of fraud. And so honestly, many. is it really important to go through all ten versions of fraud that you can commit? No, except for the poor astrologist, man. Astrology? Yeah. It's evil, man. Any <laughs> Anytime you have uh, witchcraft or magicianry or anything that goes against... Um, the power of God, then you're automatically going to hell somehow. You're down in there. You're down uh, in there. Yeah, they've got the bribe takers, the hypocrites. They even have Ulysses. Uh, uh, oh Uly- yeah, for spiritual theft or whatever. For because they because in the in the uh, Iliad they did the Trojan horse. The Trojan horse, and they they committed fraud. <sighs> they were trying to do a good thing. Right. Well, did, were they? Were they? <laughs> they though? were trying to win a war. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to win a war. That's all that. Who? War's not good. I don't know that he should be punished for being smart. Yeah. See, no, that's a that's a good way of thinking of it, right there. Uh, like little steps, basically. Like, yeah, with well, trenches. Yeah, and they and you you're in the in the bottom of that, and then there's a bridge that goes over top that they're kind of walking down. So they can look at all the suffering. They can look down at them. And yeah, there's a trench where like people get bit by a snake and then like turn into a snake and then the snake turns into a human and then like It's just a circle of turning and, and into yeah, snakes there's and biting. Because they're all thieves, so they keep stealing humanity from each other. It's a pretty interesting concept. And then uh <clears throat> and then they get to a deep, 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 deep well guarded by three giants. One of them is a giant that try that is bound by chains who wanted to uh, overthrow Mount Olympus. Uh, so I don't know how that Getting factors into Greek. yeah. Well, and this is I mean a lot of a his lot of it is Greek. a lot of his stuff is Greece Grecian. So um, there's that. Then there's the other there's the other one that he can't talk. Oh, because it was the king of uh, uh, the king at the time that tried to build the Tower of Babel. Oh yeah, yeah. And tried to ascend to godhood, but then God was like, nah. And basically, that story goes: they tried to build the Tower of Babel and t- build it so bi- so tall that they could get to heaven, and then God didn't like that, so He uh, got rid of it, and then just spread people all over the earth to speak different languages so that they could never work together to build a tower to get to heaven again. That's why we have different languages. Um, so the king at that time is a giant who lives down in hell now, and he can't talk. So that's, but he blows a horn. And then finally, there's another giant who has nothing wrong with him except for the fact that he lives in hell. Uh, That's a pretty big thing to have wrong with you. (laughs) Um, And he basically grabs them, not grabs, but holds them in his palm as he climbs down, 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 down into the ninth level, ninth circle of hell. Which is a lot colder than I would have thought the ninth circle of hell would be. Because you are are under the idea that hell is all fire and brimstone. Yes. Right. And instead, the ninth circle has this, like, big frozen lake in it. Uh, That's a creepy-ass castle, man. Is it also the ninth circle of hell? (laughs) It's, uh, that's a castle I showed Cameron earlier today. I don't remember what it's called. But it's uh, supposedly Huska Castle, House House of Huska Castle. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's supposedly a portal to hell. Oh! All of the armaments that are built into this castle are built inward and pointing down into a hole in the ground. And prisoners who were supposed to be stuck there were given um, pardon if they were lowered into the the hole as far as it could go. 
Uh, but they always started screaming and they'd be pulled out and then they'd die two days later. Every single time. Also known as radiation, but whatever. <laughs> oh, so that's what was really down there. <laughs> they don't know that for sure, but that's what I would think. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, so you are you go into this thinking hell is fire and brimstone. Turns out the ninth level, ninth circle of hell, it's all ice. Yes. It's icy cold. Icy cold. And this is all for people who betrayed others or God or yeah they are treacherous it's, it's the betrayal level which and I, there's that's there's, the worst sin really uh yeah and i can get into that in a minute okay. um oh I, I will get into that when we get into the great divorce because it actually makes more sense in the great divorce oh okay um that's what we call a tease <laughs> um treachery you've got the betrayers of uh relationships uh family. family friends and so you're you are buried in the frozen lake uh, up to a certain degree, depending on who you betrayed. Yeah. So the first one is family and you're up to your neck or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the second one is country mm-hmm. or party. So yeah. your, your political allies, basically, they're frozen up to their heads. And then so I don't know, really get who guests are in this context, because mine said the third like ranking was those who betrayed their guests and they're on their backs in the frozen lake uh, and their tears just like freeze on their faces. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, to be completely honest. I, I'm not going to even pretend like I have an like idea. We know who they betrayed know. in that one. Yeah. And then those that betrayed God are completely encased in ice. Yes. Right? Then you get to just the the climax of it. This is it. This is the big one. Good old Satan himself. Woo! Not oh, wait, fire. <laughs> not fire. Not brimstone. Not this uh, overlord of darkness. But rather, a uh, beast with three different heads, a uh, massive beast with three different heads, um, encased up to his waist in ice. Because so he's he, giant. Right. Um, and he's got four wings that are battering as hard as they can for eternity. And that's what causes the winds and cold to create the ice in the, in the hellscape. And he is munching on three different people all at once. One of them is... Uh, Judas. Well, that's the last one I was going to get to. Oh. There's two others. I can't. Cassius and Brutus. Yes. Uh, the One of them. Um, both betrayers of Judas. Both of them Caesar. were betrayers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, uh, again, Dante's got this weird philosophical connection to Rome and Greece and, and all that. So those are apparently a big deal. Yeah. They, they got his man, Julius. Yeah, man. <sighs> yeah, They deserve that, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, and then, yeah. And then his main mouth, he's munching on Judas for eternity. Judas gets uh, gets munched on pretty hard for portraying <laughs> Jesus. Um, so then Virgil, the uh, the man who has been leading our boy Dante through the hellscape, um, says, OK, now let's go climb down to his nuts. <laughs> and they climb down. They climb down his waist through the ice, down his leg all the way to his gonads. Then they climb right back up and they are in purgatory. And that don't know why we had to go by his crotch for that. But well, I don't know. I'm not I have not read anything about it. I just I just know that they went down to to that. Um, It could be this is just a quick, super quick armchair analysis. Um, The universe as we know it in all of its uh, entropy and decay and evil ways is based off of 
humans making that first choice of Adam and Eve. And that was uh, provided to us through Lucifer. Jesus, that is... That got is a sexy just Lucifer a, on the screen now. Why has he got to be looking backwards like that? Why has he got such small wings but such yeah. a big... Uh, Actually, I'm, I'm not that attracted to him. His wings are too small. Yeah, he needs to get some bigger... He's overcompensating some other places, <laughs> man. Um. Anyway, the... Taking, I like where you're going with this armchair analysis, though. That yeah. So basically, he is the the creator essentially of this universe. That like God created it, but in a way, it is through his through Lucifer's seed that we were living in the universe. And and so they even say like at like the the ninth circle of hell is at the bottom of the universe, and. I don't know. It was just a super quick analysis. It's not something I don't think that there's any theological like <laughs> backing to it. I don't think anybody else other than gross Tyler would think of, oh, the, he went down to the ball sack and then got <laughs> and then his got ejaculated into the world Ew. because that's how the world <laughs> that we live in is is formed through his gross sin ejaculation. Ew. You don't like that's me saying that? That's a metal band name, actually. Sin, sin ejaculation. ejaculation. <laughs> I wish sin ejaculation would go play on next song. Thrum, thrum, dun, dun, dun. That would be a... We should, let's copyright that and sell it to somebody. If we can just have uh, a fan band name <laughs> no. their name their their band after it, and they can do our theme music and everything. That would be amazing, yeah. actually. So, yeah. So, Dante's Inferno. A very, very classical hell uh portrait basically i think it needs to be readapted for the modern times we yeah. need a, a more accessible version for the youths of today sure because if i can't make sense of some of it what hope do the rest of us have? well and and yeah i i tried to read it i tried to listen to it it was really bad to listen to it the it was really really amateur and listening to like i have I'm really self-conscious of the way I sound on my podcast, on this podcast, because I breathe really heavily because I deal with asthma, right? So I I try to make sure that, like, I, while I'm talking, I'm not breathing too much, and then I'll step away from the mic and then come back and talk some more. Listening to uh, two of the guys on the audio book of Dante's Inferno gave me an asthma fucking attack because they'd be like... Ew. And then I descended into the seventh level of hell. <laughs> and I saw before me darkness and wayward spirits that needed. And I'm like, dude, I cannot listen to this for 10 fucking hours. My uh, British or potentially Scottish dude is sounding pretty good right now. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know why I ended up with that version, but that's what I ended up listening to. I think I got through like can't I got I think I got to Canto like sixteen or seventeen, which I and then I just gave up, honestly. And then I went and watched probably like four or five different videos on YouTube about it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But and and Dante's Inferno is a is a piece of art. I mean, it's a poem. Yeah. It's, it's not a, really a story. It is a, poem. it's a really long An poem. Epic. And Dante's Inferno is the first part to the, the divine comedy. You, once they go to, um, once they go to 
Purgatory, you get a completely different story, a completely different aspect of what he's trying to tell. And in that, honestly, I got bored to shit because all it is is political bullshit. He's just talking about people that he, that he is like trying to tear down or build up as people now or their ideals and shit and i'm like dude this is 1300s i don't care about this at <laughs> this all did not age well he talks and he talks and he talks about over and over and over again how uh purgatory is a real place on earth he brings it up over and over and over again and where he says that it should be is directly opposite on earth from italy which means it should <laughs> be in like brazil or something like that i don't remember exactly so like that's bullshit. Like he legitimately thought, oh, purgatory's real. It's on Earth. It's this mountain on Earth that you have to climb. And then, uh, and then, and then once you get to the top, you can go to heaven. Um, and so that's you know that was I was interested in it. And the more I read it, the more I was getting interested in it. Until he started really getting into the political stuff of like naming these political figures and what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm like, dude, just move on move on with this stupid ass story um but the reason why it was good too is because it is the first time you really have someone who in an epic poem with real imagery shows how how real the sins that you that you commit in life can affect you right and we're we're not even talking about hell anymore like in real life like you can do stupid shit and you can fuck with people and then it can come back and hurt you um and what he's trying to show is that in in an allegorical way that there are repercussions for your for your actions um and then and then i i think he also believed very much in what he was writing and so it was him trying to categorize and figure things out on his own um so there's that Nice. Now let's move on to the really good story that I want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Which has like sort of a similar structure in that there's the the narrator in the yep. in the great divorce unnamed, but I mean it's C.S. Lewis. It's C.S. Lewis, yes. And he also has a guide, uh George MacDonald, who was Mac a writer. McDonald. Yeah. George MacDonald. Yeah. Um who was a writer that Which we will 100% be doing an episode on George MacDonald. Okay. Like, that's been in the plans for a while now. Oh, I didn't know that. But, like, not, like, I haven't talked to you about it because I... Yeah, it was in your brain plans. Yeah, brain plans. <laughs> different than real plans. But, yes. Yeah, so, we've got the the narrator, the author, and, and the guide. Uh, although, he starts out sans guide in the very beginning. So, he's, like, on this bus. And the bus is... Uh, he doesn't, like, say it right in the beginning. So, I thought he was, like, had just died at the very beginning of this book, and he's mm -hmm. taking a bus to heaven or whatever. No. The bus is going from hell. It's on a, a little day trip to the outskirts of heaven. Mm -hmm. um, and then he basically just, like, observes a lot of ghosts interacting with spirits, and the spirits are the ones who are, like, in heaven, and they're coming down to try to talk the ghosts into changing their wicked ways so that they, too, can come to heaven. So, the whole C.S. Lewis's whole premise seems to be that you can, like, choose to leave hell as long as you, like, give up everything that got you there in the first place. You can't keep any of it. <laughs> Even the good stuff. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just excited to listen to you to you describe <laughs> my favorite book to me. Am I doing okay <laughs> so far? You're doing great. I mean, obviously, I'd go off on a few tangents okay. if I was describing it. Okay, first tangent. <sighs> Well, let's start at the beginning. 
right? There, he's in hell. Um, and hell is not fire. It's not brimstone. No, it's really freaking boring. Yep, that is, and that's the point. Um, and it is, it's nothing like Dante's Inferno, right? It is, it is nothing like. There's no circles. There's nothing. Um, it is just a shabby old town, and you can go build your own mansion, and you can live however you like. Like Napoleon, I think was one of the ones they yep. referenced. Yeah, he talks about that for for a long time, and usually. And what they say is the the more uh, you you're constantly trying to get away from other people because in hell you don't want to socialize. There's you are all about you, right? And uh, and so you build your your mansion, you enjoy it for as long as you can, and then the second you see even a candlelight in somebody else's mansion because they've built one, it means that somebody else is too close, and so you f- go further off into the wilderness. And you go find a new spot away from more people and you build yourself a new mansion. So this sounds like Ron Swanson's version of heaven, actually. Uh, yeah, kind of a little bit. But the point is that it's it's about you. You're so selfish. You're so selfish. You can't stand other people. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like a Ron Swanson uh, heaven. Um, and the the more people expand, the bigger hell gets. Right. And it's not about this physical place that hell is. It's ever expanding. It's outside of time and space. And that's why I like The Great Divorce more. Um, Dante's Inferno very much um, solidifies hell and heaven and purgatory, especially in a physical space. This is the size of hell. This is what hell is. Whereas C.S. Lewis comes to it as an allegory and a metaphor. But even then uses the dimensions of of time and space to justify its expansiveness it is ever expanding just like the universe is right and so we have our main character who is at this bus stop in hell and he's chatting with people about how does hell work because in my opinion he did just die and he starts in hell and he overcomes himself and his own his pride and his is uh unwillingness to do anything and he gets on this bus for a sightseeing event- adventure basically is what they're promised and they get on this bus and they start to, and they take off what you learn very quickly is that the bus is not flying away what's happening rather is that the bus is growing and as soon as they exit uh the space that is hell he sees that in this new place this in-between place as he calls it um which is essentially purgatory and we'll just call it purgatory for this though at no point does he call it purgatory um in purgatory hell is the size of a crack on a sidewalk so this ever expanding ever growing massive eternal place where people can move further and further and further away from each other in the sight of even the in-between place of heaven, not even heaven itself. It's tiny. It's not as important, even as a crack in the sidewalk. So is that more of a commentary on the fact that, like, you know, as an insult to people, we call them small. We say you're small. Is it that or is it just that heaven is so vast, so huge and encompassing that by comparison, hell is like a thumbtack. 
I agree. Yeah, the latter the is latter. what I think would I would go with and where I would lean towards of we spend all this time talking about hell and it's not that fucking important. Mm-hmm. We especially pastors, especially preachers who do the whole fire and brimstone style of preaching and they're like, You're gonna go to hell, you're gonna go to hell. That's not what's important. If you're if you're a Christian just to not go to hell, what kind of Christian are you really? That actually like ties in really well to two of the quotes that I like jotted down. One of them was um, hell is just a state of mind, but heaven is reality itself. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the other one was there have been some who were so occupied in spreading Christianity that they never gave a thought to Christ. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that's the point that I get from that is that that's why it's so small. That hell is almost meaningless. Yep. So our main character steps off the bus and onto this in-between land and immediately starts to realize that he cannot bend a blade of grass below his feet. The grass is like needles, right? Um, the, the wind blows people over super easily. Everybody that steps off the bus realizes that they are less physical than this world that they've just stepped into. They are ghosts. They are shades. Um, and this is, you know, that what I, I remember my pastor sitting down with him and what he would talk to me about is probably one of his favorite lines is like, they were, they weren't even like glass. They were like the smudge on glass is Uh. what C.S. Lewis says, right? You can just look right through it. Right. And as you, as you do, you learn to just ignore it after a while. So, uh, so our main character starts to see a lot of different things. And this is where like. I, I don't want to get too into these things because he starts to just witness different interactions between uh, the spirit or the ghosts that he is a part of and spirits that are coming out of heaven. And then even spirits that l- dwell within this in-between land that are in purgatory. And eventually he um, eventually he makes his way to the giant that is George McDonald, who's mm-hmm. just hanging out at a waterfall doing his thing. And this is like the narrator's literary hero. So he goes up to him and wants to talk about George McDonald. And George is like, nah, it's not important. Yeah, it's not important. And you got some stuff wrong about me. But now we're going to move on. Right. Um, And he calls him master. And basically it's the same idea that that Dante has for Virgil. He read Virgil's work and he considered him his master. Uh, C.S. Lewis did the same thing with George McDonald. Um, And so George starts to show him around and explain things to him. Like, you know, as you live in this land uh purgatory you will become more real and in so doing you'll be able to move a blade of grass you'll be able to pick an apple off the tree and eat it until then you're just a ghost and the whole point of this place is to prepare you for heaven right um and at one point they look towards heaven and they can see spirits coming out of the gates of heaven into purgatory to receive these ghosts and um the glimpse that you get of heaven uh, is a mountain range, and that's it, right? And basically, they, you know, he's like, "Well, what's what's the point of it?" And he's like, "What do you mean? What's the point of it? The point is you, you, you climb the mountain, you get closer to God, and then you descend down, and then you climb another mountain, and you get closer to God. It's a never-ending process. And those that are coming back to purgatory to receive these ghosts and to help these people have stopped their journey turned around and come back from however far they got in because the adventure is part of the finding of god and then you have different different things that they 
uh, get into with with different story, uh, different stories, different people and their relationships with people that have already died. Um, a lot of stubbornness, a lot of stupidity. But the story that that I always loved and that really hit me hard was the story of the lizard on the guy's back. Did you like that one? I like that one. Yeah. Do you want to tell them what happened? Well, so the the lizard is supposed to represent like lust in that that case, right? I'm not sure. Or sensuousness or something. I think is the word that they used. Um, so the, the ghost has this lizard that's like sitting on his shoulder or whatever. Mm-hmm. And one of the angels or spirits comes over to him and he's like, Hey, like, let me just kill the lizard for you. And then you can come to heaven or whatever. And he yeah. like fights it so hard, partly because I think he's afraid to lose the lizard and partly because he thinks it's going to hurt. Cause like every time the spirit gets close to him, it burns. Yeah. He's like, okay, if you kill the lizard, it's going to kill me too. And the spirit's like, no, it's, it's going to be fine. It'll hurt, but you're not going to die. I never said you were going to die. Yeah. And so finally, I think this is one of the few ghost success stories. Yeah. Finally, the spirit gets him to be like, okay, yeah, kill it. Just do it. And so he kills it and then, or he takes it and he like breaks its spine or whatever and then Something. throws it to yeah. the side and the ghost lives. And then the, lizard like turns into this giant stallion yep then they ride off together yeah do you have any idea what that represents at all well like you're letting go of your sin or whatever mm-hmm. the i in his case lust i think it was um but does it say like, it in the book that it's, it's a lust? sensuousness okay uh, i don't i don't yeah. remember that part but that's, um, that makes sense yeah so you're giving up whatever like sin you're really addicted to yeah um and then in doing so it turns into something even better right because the stallion's way cooler than a lizard. So much cooler. So much cooler. The difference is uh, is pretty clear too of becoming the master of your own sin, mm-hmm. right? So when when the lizard was chirping in his ear, it was telling him what he what he wanted to hear of like, well, it'll be okay, you know, it'll be okay. We'll we'll take care of it ourselves, right? Uh, and the lizard is riding his back, right? It's getting a free ride, and in so doing, it's holding him back from heaven. Um, and the angel comes to him and says, "Hey, I can just, I can. Just, it's not that hard. I'll just get rid of it for you, right? All you have to do is say, do it, and I'll do it." And uh, and so he does. He's like, he finally, he's like, ah, yeah, get rid of it for me after all that pain and, <laughs> and annoyance." And and he throws it down, and it turns into a stallion, and he becomes the master and of he's it, its and back. he's riding its back. And uh, the way that I see that is basically the idea of like, if you are. If you are dealing with a sin in your life, um, God, I, I hate talking like that too even. But if you're dealing with a specific issue yeah, in your life, um, learning to overcome it is what allows you to become better. Not that, not that you are worse with it because the ghost stays the same. He doesn't really – I mean he does change, but – it's the fact that he's like willing to change by letting it it become something better than him and he and then it, he rides it off into the mountains and it's not even that he had to do this big huge undertaking he just had to let somebody else help him in that case it, exactly but the, the i'm having a hard time describing what i what i get out of it basically if I if i want to be a better person having taking the lizard off my back and putting it and turning it into something that could help me and help share others with or share Christ with others. Um, that's the point of, of heaven, right? It's, it's not to just get into heaven. It's to help others there. It's to have a reason for being there. And 
he overcame something. And, um, and so, you know, I've struggled so much in my life that it's, it's become a burden in my life of like, I, I have all this stuff that I want to talk about with people. And I think the way that I look at it is I've, I've had to struggle so much and it's allowed me to be more open and honest with people because I, I don't allow myself to be like someone who's like, you have to believe in what I believe. Rather, I'm more understanding. I'm more open and honest. And that allows me to, I take the struggle that I've had in my life and I put that on other people. Like, you're struggling just as much as I have. And I get that, right? So I want, I like, I'm here for you. I'm not here to get you to accept Christ. I'm here for you sort of thing. So that's kind of the allegory that I see in that. I know I did not explain it very well. That, no, but that's like job. that's like one of my favorite ones. And I've I've really I've debated on how to get the tattoo, but I want <laughs> to get lizard. yeah I want to get the tattoo. I don't want the lizard on my back because no. then I'm like oh I'm just the guy with the lizard on my back. So I've been I've been trying to figure out how to how how to get that tattoo. Oh, that's a hard for a long one. Time. But yeah, I think that was definitely one of the um, like mini stories within the story that stood out to me the most. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of like how it ended, yeah. So, spoiler alert: he was dreaming the whole time. Oh uh, yeah, it's what? kind of a kind of a lame get out of that. <laughs> Except one. maybe that wasn't a cliched ending in 1946 when he wrote this. No, I don't think it <laughs> was. I think he was he was able to get away with it. the The point being with the Great Divorce, and and this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier, is really there's only one sin. That's it. Not accepting God. Or uh, a sen- that's a symptom yeah. of it. Yes. But no, you've got all these levels of hell um, and the worst one of them all is treachery. Right. And the the worst offender of that is Satan, Lucifer. Um, and and C.S. Lewis wraps up this massive, you know, book, the, the Divine Comedy. It's huge and fucking 11 hours long. And he does it in like a hundred teeny pages. tiny little pages. Oh no, like pages. 120 some pages, yeah. And it, you could listen to it probably in like two hours. Easy, right? Because it all comes down to one thing. Pride. That's it. That's the only sin that there is. If you are prideful, then you're going to do dumb shit. Greed is just a, thinking that people you deserve more Mm -hmm. right gluttony is i want to eat more so i'm going to eat as much as i can uh lust is other people's emotional states don't matter to me i just need to get (laughs) off right i need to get blown (laughs) (laughs) blown around in the wind or Um, whatever uh you know like you can go into each and every single one but they all derive out of me 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 pride ego all of that And C.S. Lewis says it so clearly in here of like, look, just put yourself aside for two seconds and see what the reality is. It is the choice between living a good life and living a terrible life. And hell is not this fire and brimstone. It is never being able to get over yourself to see what other people could need to see how you can affect other people's life. Heaven is being willing to drive yourself towards God as hard and as far as you can, then turn around and do 180 and come right back. The whole journey you just made to get one person 
so that they can get into heaven. That is what heaven is about. It's about getting over yourself and seeing what really matters to people, right? What they need, what they need to hear. And, and when you start to tear away your old form of your own pridefulness, you start to become more real. That's what I love about this fucking book is he just hits it on the head. You become more real. Um, you become a bigger person because you're more. You become more fleshly because you're more. And you love people because you're more. And um, and so it's like his his form of – and he even says of, at some point in the book, <clears throat> heaven and hell is what you make of life. If you lived life in a way that is – Oh, it's just hell. It's just hell on earth. I just hated it. It's just the worst. Nobody ever gave me the respect I needed. Nobody ever treated me the right way. And I, I didn't get this. And I didn't get that. Then you're going to look back on your life and be like, oh, I was living in hell the whole time anyway. I've been here the whole time. Yeah. But if you look back and you go, oh, look at all the people I was able to help. Look at all the good that is in the world. Look at how beautiful the world is because of, you know, blah, 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 this. If you want to say God, God, if you, you know, I believe Jesus, God. Then the whole, you'll look back at your life and be like, oh, my God, I've been in heaven this whole fucking time. Yeah, the afterlife is just a continuation of what your real life was. Right. Um, and so, so to me, and this is, again, just me, the only way that you really find that um, is through really testing and finding scripture and what it what it's going to be able to help you with through Jesus's words. Jesus was a stand-up guy. <laughs> I mean like he just he hit it on the head with everything of like this is this is how you do good. This is what real goodness is. You know, he lived in a time when there was so much corruption in the church and he lived in a time when there was evil parading as good and um and you you had cultures of people like the Roman culture that like we were talking about earlier where there was a position for young boys to work under men of power, and those positions were to be raped whenever that man wanted to rape a boy. And then those boys would grow up to be in positions of power and be able to get their own boys to rape, right? That was what the um, the scriptures really going against in when it says, you know, and homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The word is specifically pointing towards that group of people not homosexuals but people that rape other young people the bible and what jesus stands for is very very simple love people don't fuck them up and just just be a good person and enjoy what god has created for you to enjoy that was that's my whole sermon and it just comes from what C.S. Lewis says in his book and i i love the way that he ties it into that allegory where you can see a physical space of kind of an imaginary idea. Right. He makes it very relatable by having it be like this, basically like a field trip. Like yeah. you could envision yourself being the narrator in this one where it's a lot harder to envision yourself as Dante. And Dante, you're, <laughs> you're reading about Dante dealing yeah. It with it. And this, it's like, yeah, I think the narrator is probably C.S. Lewis, like writing as, this, as if this was him. But because it's an unnamed narrator, you could picture yourself as, as the main dude. Yeah. Working through this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I, like I said at the top of the show, I don't, I'm not trying to sermon. I'm not trying to tell people what they have to believe. I'm pointing out what I believe and what C.S. Lewis believed and where it comes from. And I'm glad you made me read The Great Divorce. You like it? I would highly recommend it because it's very short, very easily digestible, I think. 
And it's a good and, book. And it's a good way to reinterpret, re-understand a way, the way that a lot of Christians believe in heaven and hell nowadays. Because if I come up to you and I say, I believe in hell, you probably think that I believe... Fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone. But when now that's, I think you mean the line at a bus station. Exactly. So when I say, yeah, Hannah, I believe you're going to hell because you're not a Christian, does it seem as... De- not demanding or I guess demanding is the right term, but um, does it seem as mean as it did at the top of the show? No. Right. Because I, I don't, I'm not sitting here going, you're going to go to the seventh <laughs> level of hell. Like I don't fucking care about that. That's fucking bullshit. You're going to go wait and get on a bus and then you're going to have the I'll opportunity come talk to you in the purgatory Valley. I will come back. I will come. I'll turn around from heaven to come pick you up. Just don't be a stupid fucking spirit. Just don't be a stupid one, Hannah. I'll be so whiny. I'll be like, no, you can't. You're a lizard. I was on a podcast with you. You can't tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the South Park version of it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's great. I'm... (laughs) I think that that's a really cool idea, too, of, like, being able to think about, like, who are you willing to turn around for? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't get to do the turning around in this scenario. But, and this, but, but this but this gets to turn it. This turns into a whole nother conversation, which we don't need to really have um, because we're running. I'm sure we're running yeah, super late. Totally. Um, but the the conversation of, uh, like, universalism and, and um, penance and things like there are people that specifically believe that hell is purgatory and hell is where you go to basically burn away your sins Uh, and then once you've been cleansed cleansed, then you go to heaven and uh, the day of judgment will only come when the last person is cleansed in hell and they will go up to heaven well that seems really difficult to achieve (laughs) I mean and and that's a it's it's an interesting theory Uh, I don't know if I stand with it but I want to, um, especially going back to the the verse that I brought up earlier of Jesus went down. He descended down and preached to the spirits uh, in the lower portions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and to me, there's a big question in that. Jesus never Jesus never preached to anybody who could not be saved. He never he never wasted one breath of air to, to, to be like, yeah, but you're a demon. So, I mean, maybe <laughs> come to Jesus. Right. Or, you know, come to me, come to God. Like when when it was a demon, there was no conversation. But every single time he could preach to somebody who could be saved, he would. Right. So if Jesus descended down into hell and preached God to the people of hell. What does that tell you? That they can be saved. That they can be saved. So it's an, I mean, again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, <laughs> the Lord, Chuck. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying this is biblical truth. Uh, this is not theology. I'm not a theologian. I mean, in a way, all Christians should be theologians because they need to have some understanding of Jesus Christ and the laws that are abided by that and science that goes into it. But I am not an actual certified theologian. I am not a pastor. I am barely a teacher. I am mostly reading the Bible and trying to figure my own shit out. So uh, don't think that I'm trying to bring you guys to Christ. Unless you already are to Christ, then you can do whatever the fuck you Then you can be like, Tyler brought me here. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Um, I'm just kind of bringing up cool ideas, interesting ideas that I have seen in my own walk. And I'm trying to get through 
to people like you, like people that I know that are like, oh, Christians, whatever, you believe in this or this or this. It's like, well, actually, I don't. Like, that's kind of an old idea of what I, what people used to think. That's not how I view any of that. So feel awesome. free to talk to me about it. Yes, write to Tyler and me. You know, whoever you want to. You can ask Hannah questions, too. Hannah, you barely got to talk on this stupid episode. Um, This is because you're the expert on this one. So I was just along expert. for the, You're Virgil slash uh, George McDonald. I am unnamed narrator. Dante. And Dante. <laughs> You'll take the Dante uh, unnamed air- narrator yes. portion. <laughs> Cameron says he's the lizard. That makes total sense. That's awesome. Um, uh, so is this a good place to wrap up? Let's wrap up because uh, I've talked too long. And uh, you guys, feel free to talk to me. Seriously. <laughs> I, I want to hear what you think if, if you have an idea. And, and real quick, though, if you are going to send me messages, please be nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you hear it from my tone of voice, but I am being very specific with the way that I talk I'm I'm trying to not be just outlandish and stuff so I'm, I'm trying to be calculated um please do the same courtesy for me if yeah you, don't be a dick if you want to send me letters I have had people talk to me about our show before and try and call me out on some stuff and uh if you if you want to be mean I I just don't appreciate it um and I'm I'm happy to chat and talk but be nice you can email me or Hannah, because Hannah needs to talk about this a little bit more, I think. Um, you can email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, and there's a contact page there. So if you don't want to, if you can't remember our, our email address, that's fine. Just go to lewisandlovecraft.com. You can see outdated pictures of us. I have a beard now. And, um, and then you can send us an email through the contact. You can also go to Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft and Facebook.com Lewis and Lovecraft. And as always, thank you to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. If you haven't already checked him out, what are you doing with your lives? But you can find him at SoundCloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. And also our remix. And also, our, is that on there? No, because Cam did that, didn't he? Cam did do that. I was telling you to talk about Cam. Cam did our amazing remix for our correspondence yeah. uh, episodes that we've started releasing every other Monday. Uh, so, yeah. Can they find that on our Facebook, Instagram? Find uh, that song? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Or just, like, listen to the correspondence intros on Yeah, repeat, just listen to the correspondence. it sounds cool. It does sound cool. It's really interesting. Um, don't forget to subscribe, y'all. That way, if something comes out and you weren't expecting it, it'll automatically let you know. And as always, rate and review us, especially on iTunes, if that's where you do the listening. <laughs> if that's where you do the listening. Yeah. Uh, rate and review on iTunes is a big one for us. Spotify is also a big one. Um, Facebook reviews, nobody cares about that. Yelp, we need to start a Yelp review. <laughs> Google review us if that's an Is option. that a thing? Can you I, Google I read review? Google reviews. But Amazon review our podcast. <laughs> Go to a book that we've talked about. And, and review that book and talk about our podcast. Oh, I should start doing that. Let right? I just Ooh. came up with that idea. You are a marketing genius. <laughs> but the best marketing you can do for the us. The best marketing. Is to tell a friend. Tell a friend. Take two seconds. Who are you working next to right now? Look to the right. Look to the left. Take both of those and just scream out. Lewis and Lovecraft. Between Lewis and Lovecraft podcast. And then just walk away. And then just walk out the room. 
just go into the cafeteria that you that is in your building or or oh wait you probably can't go into the cafeteria right now because of the covid thing scream at strangers on the internet scream at the strangers on the just seriously tell a friend it's always the best way to get people to listen to our show um and you're gonna want to listen to our next episode too what are what are we talking about tyler's so excited for the next episode we're talking about one of his nope Nope, you're getting ahead of yourself. We're, we're talking about George, George Orwell. George Orwell. 1984, uh, Animal Farm. Uh, those are the two big Those ones. are the only two I know of right now because I haven't done any actual research on him. But so. we'll uh, change that in two weeks. <laughs> so in two weeks, come back and we'll talk about the right person. Hopefully Hannah doesn't read the wrong book. God, I wish I wouldn't have caught that. And oh then you would have read God. the wrong thing. And I would have shown up and you would have been like, you're not ready at all. Oh my gosh. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Stay free. Don't let the thought police get to you. Wait, am I too far away? Yeah. Yeah. What's coming up next? This is surprising to me. (laughs) Am I reading the wrong book? It's 1984. We're talking uh, Orson Welles. Not Orson. George Orwell. (laughs) Thank you. George Orwell. George Orwell. Orson Welles, it's a Orson completely Wells. different character, person, character. Yeah. Then I need to stop reading George the book that I started reading because I'm on the wrong episode. Yeah, don't talk about that one yet. <laughs> no, we're too, not going to talk about that one yet. Do we need to just skip? Forget no, we're not going to skip.